Tonight, that doesn't belong on the screen. We discuss John Carpenter's The Thing and The Chaunt of the Dead, and then we take a look at our two DS9 episodes, and we'll conclude with a special memorial. All this coming up right now on The Writer Brothers. And welcome back to the Ryder Brothers. I am your host, Petey York, joined tonight by Mr. Corion, which in residence. And Poyo Zapatos is taking the night off to celebrate a very special birthday with his wife. And so, uh, yeah, it's just us flying tonight. Um, he may or may not pop up in the comments if he feels like it. And of course, we'll read any correspondence he sends us directly. But uh, before we oh, dive, not into... without adding in our own spin on whatever he says. So, well, absolutely. You know, we decide the narrative of Poyo Zapatos' comments tonight. You want to show? You want to share your opinion without my bias, John? Show up for work when you're supposed to. <laughs> now, of course, we'll we'll read it exactly as is because that's what we're about here: restoring respect in the discourse um, and busting balls occasionally. Absolutely, absolutely. Corion, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, had a good day so far, and uh, been looking forward to this all day. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this discussion, too. Uh, definitely had a very productive day at, at work. Um, a certain somebody's handcrafts may end up on the CMC Sutlery website next week. We'll, of very course, cool. update everybody when that happens um, and go from there. But... For tonight, we are here to discuss quite a few things. We might as well get right into it with uh, John Carpenter's The Thing, or the 1982 version, or my personal favorite, because I haven't quite gotten around to sitting through the original yet. Okay. Um, Corio, do you have a synopsis ready for us? Yeah, I've got a, the basic premise of it. Um, so the, the basic premise is a, a team is heading out to an Antarctic base, um, when, as they're on their way down, they see a, a dude that they don't understand the language he's speaking, but it looks very clear like he's trying to warn them away. And it turns out that when they get down there and they realize that they're in the middle of possibly the most nightmarish of scenarios, a alien that can make itself look and appear like any of them. And how do you deal with... A environment where you potentially can't trust anyone that you know or have been friends with for a very, very long time. Yeah, there there is a lot to really unpack with this movie, and I mean, it's not necessarily a, it's not a super complicated plot to follow. It 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 does have a couple of twists and turns, but rewatching it very recently, um, just yeah, this last week, I I was blown away by just every. Thing that this movie does right um the soundtrack is ominous and yet it fits the tone exactly right um arende writes in evening pd york corion arende evening to you welcome glad you're here we just got started on the thing so you haven't missed hardly much um it, it's so the music fits the tone sets the tone right and everything else about this while it is a bit gruesome in a lot of ways for me, it's tolerable because it comes off to me as sci-fi gruesome. It's not real. It's not. It, it, it's horrific, sure, but it's it's like it's metamorphosis kind of stuff. We don't have a whole lot of. It's 
Yeah, it's Roger Corman gore, not yeah. like Saw gore. Right, the one that's that makes it so easy to understand because it's it could be real. People could be getting sawed right now as we speak, for all we know. Uh, fun, scary thought there. Um, but this is, you know, this is alien type stuff. It's it's metamorphosis uh, physics. It's 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 well done in my and that's mm-hmm. why I think they linger on a lot of the stuff is because a lot of time went into making these, and that's what I love about this movie too. All practical effects. I don't think there's yeah. a single piece of CGI. Uh, that's used. I meant to brush up on that fact, but I, I, I didn't. I'm pretty to, but... sure this is this movie is was put down well before CG was commonplace at any rate. Yeah, because I think Last Starfighter was '86. That sounds about something, right. But that one was very. That was all CG. The, this movie, mm-hmm. uh, uh, H. Marie thought that when it was dripping off the table that it looked like CG and it probably could have looked that way because of the composite shot shooting and and the techniques of the day um however everything in this was obviously and I love I miss that they just don't make movies like this um where they actually blow stuff up it was one of the it's one of the few redeeming qualities of Farce Awakens in my opinion was the fact that you know, for all the bad stuff we can say about that Star Wars movie and the fact that I'll never watch it I can at least look back and go there was an effort there for the visual effects to blend with with CG, not just have it all be a CG nightmare like the prequels. And so that's why I love mm-hmm. movies like The Thing is here we have a lot of money was was spent to make the practical effects and it, every single shot pays off. There isn't a bad it, frame in this film. Yeah, it feels physical. It feels visceral. The texture there can be appreciated by the, by the viewer because the actors treat everything as it's actually happening. They're not acting to a green screen. They're acting to a head skittering around on a bunch of weird legs. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's, oh uh, yeah, I forgot about that one. That, that one was like, I was like, oh, this one's always more violent than I remember. But, uh, no. I, well, I mean, it, it, it's a Kurt Russell movie in the era of Kurt Russell movies when he was doing things like Big Trouble in Little Chinatown. He's doing like, crazy you know weird movies but that have deep meaning behind them yeah well and 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 the entire cast in this film is just fantastic everyone plays off each other very well and uh arende writes in uh h-a-h which i can't uh ha Oh, he actually said ha. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen it spelled that way in a long time. I'm used to H-A these days and an exclamation point. It says, ha, farce awakens, probably the truest descriptor for that travesty of a Star Wars movie ever. Yeah, and I'll I'll just come right out of, uh, you know, out of, out of the closet once again. I did like Farce Awakens. I did try to like Last Jedi. But by the time we got to uh, Rise of Suckwanker, I was done. But uh, this will continue on the, uh, on the Star Wars day. Yeah, I mean, uh, personally, when it comes to, to those movies, um, I will say The Force needed five more minutes of, of the snooze button, at least, uh, just to work out some of the stuff. And The Last Jedi was probably what killed my love for the Star Wars franchise completely. Yeah. That's what made me stand up and walk away. And, you know, that's that's sad, right? I mean, it, it's sad that they could do, that they figured that that would be acceptable, but they made their choices. They got to live with the fact that they're not going to get me to pay for movie tickets yeah. anymore. And I'd like to see movies like The Thing here, you know, Absolutely. not ever get 
that treatment because it's it, I, I didn't even bother with the 2011 because I had heard that it was well I'd heard it was gonna suck and then I read the views and it looked like it did and so it's like while I technically can't have an opinion on it sure um I'm definitely not gonna watch it anytime soon if ever so. yeah it's not exactly encouraging you to watch it exactly I I don't know I I so my piece on the thing is to me this is a wonderful movie in that okay it does have its gore horror elements and you can make the argument that it's gory horror yeah but i would argue that this is much more of a fear of the uncanny we're more afraid of the existential horror of any of our friends could be an alien in disguise sitting here around our campfire slightly back from it of course because these things hate fire um but it could be any one of them and it could be working to help us or hinder us based on its whims at that moment and that's a pretty terrifying thing and that's the kind of terror that makes you sit there and and realize oh my goodness i'm in a very serious very scary situation that's the kind of horror i love yeah yeah and uh Arende says that green milk scene what a pathetic way to portray luke anyway sorry for being off topic now Arende, right now the audience is basically a topic we bring topics to you guys that we want to discuss and share absolutely but until we're like you know a thousand viewers deep at consistently um this show can be taken off topic all the time and yes eventually we will have a show that's going to be open discussion type stuff we'll you know, we definitely want to grow to that point, but don't worry about it. It's it's all good. Oh, um, but, but Randy's getting on topic. Point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rende says the scene where they test the blood sample with a hot wire. Yeah, that's that's one of my favorite scenes uh, in yeah. the entire film, and it really it, it that's a scene that is well earned throughout the movie. That just really adds to the suspense, and of course, the twist that it takes, and it turning out to be somebody else that you didn't think, and then and then of course. You know, we find out that the guy who was who found out that they were all aliens <laughs> turns out to be one himself and is building a spaceship under his prison. Um, okay. Yeah, uh, that that whole scene was great. I was actually kind of laughing this last time I watched it just because I could imagine myself being in that chair while the creature's coming, you know, growing, and I'm just like, you know, oh man, that would suck. <laughs> hey, Orville Nation's on here as well, uh good to catch you guys streaming yeah hey orville it's great to see you um you're always welcome here you're always uh wonderful to see in the chat man yeah if you want to if you want to come in and talk the thing Shaun of the dead and deep space nines uh the nagus and vortex which yeah yeah you're right those are good episodes uh please uh, let me know you sent me a message on twitter so i can check my twitter because i this may come as a shock too uh i don't have twitter on my phone i don't have instant notifications i check it at my leisure so just you're trying to get a hold of me and you want to get a hold of me, please email me, thewriterbrothers at gmail.com. Speaking of which, Arende, please email me, thewriters at gmail, bro- ugh, writerbrothers at gmail.com. Got a special gift I'd like to send you. Um, anyway. Yeah. And as for me, I mean, you know, I am on Twitter almost all the time. Uh, I am on Facebook almost all the time. But realistically, sometimes the best way to, to do this is just say my name on the ground. Uh, say my name put a circle on the ground and then say it three more times and oof, I just appear. But you do realize I'm actually going to try that after the show, right? Are you really going to want to have me visit you at that, at that point in the night? All right, maybe tomorrow. Uh, there you go. <laughs> so, 
so yeah, this this honestly, I, I do consider this a masterpiece of a movie in so many ways. I consider it one of the best horror movies of all time because it definitely, it, it does tick all the boxes to be considered a horror movie in, in many different ways. And yeah, it, it it it's a good balance of the cerebral and also just the just the entire situation um like yeah you you have the gore but you also have the okay you can't trust anybody so yeah yeah that's where we're at i mean you know and it's nice that we've got those two kind of horrors there (laughs) we have a little bit of a jump scare now and and again right yeah um you know so i mean it really ticks all the horror boxes I would argue, out of the horror genre, it might be one of the the top horror movies. Um, in, just because it, it ticks everything, right? It's a scenario that we could all potentially see ourselves in, right? We all, in theory, go camping every once in a while. Imagine you're out camping in the middle of nowhere, and it turns out, you know, one of your friends has been replaced by pod people. How would you even know? How would you deal with it? Can you trust your friends? Can you trust the people that know you better possibly than you know yourself? And I do like that at one point in the movie, they start to realize that, you know, maybe trusting each other wasn't necessarily required to get the job done. Maybe what was required was get the job done. And if you see somebody acting strange, you deal with it then. Who are you going to call? Well, yeah, me. Yeah. Apparently. <laughs> yeah. And the, uh, you know the stakes are are pretty much it doesn't get any you're on your own than it does uh you know in antarctica i mean maybe deep space but you're at the bottom of the world no one's coming to get you till after winter time and uh yeah i mean it it ends it, it was funny as h marie said oh you know kurt russell has plot armor and it's like well kind of <laughs> he's kind of the anti sean bean yeah he gets right. to the end but that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Him and Keith David do die in the end. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, there was no way anyone was going to make it off of, like, out of that. No. I no. mean, when you consider we're dealing with a in, an alien that's so far beyond anything we would really be able to understand at that point, you kind of got to expect at that point, all right, nobody's making it out. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So, so yeah, Arende regarding the, uh, okay, got that. So I'll get to that after the show. Yeah. Regarding the email, that's our, that's our business email address. That That's where people can send inquiries, suggestions, feedback, whatever. That's, you want to reach us on the writer brothers and sponsor us or whatever. That's how you get a hold of us most effectively. Um, we're, <laughs> we're both on there. So, um, yep. So yeah. And, yeah. No, I I do like it. I think it's a fantastic movie. I think that I'm pretty sure actually Roger Corman was one of the people that was doing the special effects on the thing. If I were to sit down and dig through it, or at least his production house. But yeah. and you know this is textbook quality work here. I mean, there isn't a prop, there isn't a prosthetic, there isn't a, an, a special effect that wasn't done lovingly and taken the time to get it right yeah you know there there's nothing along there uh i mean the plot look you can't do much better than you know than the specific writers for this they did really good like this is a uh john carpenter if i remember correctly uh, that he directed it 
and uh, it's based on what the John Campbell Jr. novella. Yeah, if uh, I remember correctly. I believe it's yeah the novella. And of course, the, the I want to say the the fifty three title of the same name uh, that that came out. But this was yeah. this was considered better because it actually was an improvement on the original product in many ways. It it, it really shines through. I mean, you can see the, the I mean even right out of the gate the helicopter chasing the dog. Okay, the fact that they managed to coordinate that so perfectly is impressive right. in of itself. And then there's also the... Uh, well, yeah, the, I mean, the whole thing right out of the gate is just amazing. So it's... Arende writes in, that creature uh, felt more felt- like a predator or engineered bioweapon that got out of control rather than anything else. Yeah, I mean... To me, I always pictured it as an alien species, like a crashed survivor from an alien species that instead of us, we put almost all of our resources into building better machines. They put all the resources into building better them. (laughs) And, you know, they're just, you know, bioengineered out the wazoo. uh, Even, you know, if that species has a wazoo, I don't even know. Um, But that's you know just how they deal with the world well that is where the male jelly comes from so yeah well there you go (laughs) uh or where the male jelly is stored i'm trying to remember the futurama actually futurama did do a uh a parody of this in a full episode it was it was was pretty well it was pretty good good homage yeah um it's uh yeah it's just like i said to me it's a masterpiece on, on on all kinds of levels and and um yeah, the artwork is clearly there. The music is there, and it's clear that everyone. I also do like how you can get a clear distinction between a scientist with a gun and a tier one operator with a gun and explosives. <laughs> Some blunders yes. that that you think are like, oh, how could anyone be that dumb? And it's like, give a scientist a gun, and you'll find out they're they're not they're not killing machines. Of course, they're not going to hit a dog, a moving small moving target like. It, it's one. It's it's easy to sit on the sidelines of a movie and point out some stuff and go, I could do that better. And then, of course, you never try to. But I've actually talked to guys who shot out engines on boats. Like, it's hard, very yeah. hard. You have not just you don't just calculate when you're shooting stationary. You're trying to calculate for wind, velocity, and all the other factors. Shooting a still target. And then even shooting a moving target while you're stationary is is a bit more involved, but so much harder. But when you have to factor in your movement along with the target's movement, and that target is a is dog, little tiny something small, that is that is a lot of guesswork for somebody who's inexperienced and has no no prior knowledge of how to do yeah. that. So and and to be perfectly honest, like look, when I was younger, yeah, I trained with firearms pretty reasonably and I could do pretty good right at like 120 yards I could take out the tack holding up the target right that's pretty good yeah it's not bad but you know the the thing here is I was sitting stationary like I was either standing or prone against a stationary target and I knew what the wind was doing every time moving and the target moving and everything else going on that's a hard shot even for a professional to make and you know when you consider that these scientists yeah they may have had basic rifle safety or they may have been like me where they were like oh I took shooting in boy scouts or something 
they're not a tier one operator. They're not going to make that shot perfect. It's just not going to happen. And that's a reasonable thing, right? You know, I, I, we actually, in our second movie, Shaun of the Dead, we actually see textbook examples of this anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, we'll definitely be, be, be getting to that. And uh, Randy says, kind of reminds me of the movie with Chris Pratt, The Tomorrow War. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, uh, some elements. But could you shoot a womp rat at 100 meters? Uh, let's see. With a computer targeting system, uh, laser guided lasers. Probably. Uh, I, I, I'm just going to say through the force, anything is possible. Well, of course. Uh, that, that, <laughs> that always goes without saying. Why waste Why waste breath on it? Or I'm trying to remember the line from, from the Star Wars Old Republic. There's, there's See, a, I figured you were going to go with hokey religions and... Uh, ho- hokey, have your, hokey religions and, and ancient and weapons are no match for... Yeah, and superstitions are no match for a blaster at your sidekick. You know, I actually... I, I agree with both. Yes, use the force, but also... Use whatever you have you available. Shoot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're a practical witch. You get it. You, you know oh, that yeah. you can't just stick out your hand and shoot lightning. That'd be great. And I hope we can discover such abilities someday. Yeah. I'm also yes. not an can't idiot. Can't do that. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> so. No. No. Can't. Can't do that in view of the public. Can't. Absolutely cannot do that in view of the public. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Nice recruiting pitch there, salesman. I see what your game is. <laughs> uh, <you know. laughs> I bought this lie once before, and it cost me nine years. No, no more on hey, that. Hey, man, the Coast Guard can can do what it wants, but <laughs> no, it, it's that's a that's that's rogue council discussion. If we go any oh, further, yeah. um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I really all I can do is, is sing this movie's praises. There isn't a moment that I dislike. It's a bit of a slow burn, but you know, again, yeah. not everything has to be action fast moving a thousand miles an hour to the next thing i mean you need breathing room to build tension and that's what this movie actually gives us just enough to build up that time to think about what you're seeing to get terrified of what's going on I, i think this film is like takes place over the span of like a day or a day and a half and you just don't realize that until the two and a half hours has gone by and you're like, wow, I just experienced a day and a half and two hours and I didn't even notice. So, uh, Arendi says, yeah, shooting lightning from your hand is a surefire way to end up on a dissecting table. Yeah, probably. I mean, if Jedis were real, that, that would definitely be a motivator for, <laughs> for some inhuman experimentation. Oh. And as far as I'm going to respond to that is, ah, but they'd have to catch me first. Fair enough. All right. Anything else for the thing? thing? No, we... I think I'm, I think I'm ready to move on to Sean. If you are. Yes, we absolutely can. On to Sean of the dead. So, uh, just about, I think it's, uh, is it 18 years ago now or almost 18 years ago. The world was graced with one of the best, uh, black comedies um, ever, um, in in my opinion. That's why I picked it, and uh, that's why we're going to discuss it. So, uh, synopsis for Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the Dead starts like, uh, you know, your average romantic comedy. Uh, she's just not happy in the relationship. He doesn't get it, and so, you know, they have to figure things out, all while doing the daily grind of nonsense. You, you almost think the zombies are out in the beginning of the movie at first, until you realize, oh no, 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 those are just, 
Well, those are like almost zombies. <laughs> and yet we do. One of the things I actually did like about this movie, I'm going to say for the record that I'm in the camp of it's not in my list of favorites. But um, one of the things I do love is that they make it very clear how, you know, the apocalypse is playing out. You know, the zombie apocalypse is happening and nobody's paying attention to it. <laughs> I know. That's, the, the, the timelessness of this film is impressive because it's just as relevant then as it is today. I mean, right? everybody, you know, the world's literally ending and no one gives a shit. At least not until it inconveniences them. And Sean just goes through his routine. Arende writes in, I like how oblivious the character is. Oblivious when the outbreak starts. So true. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Exactly. It's because, and it, that that's part of what just really puts the cherry on top of this movie for me, is is that it's so believable and relatable in the sense that at what point would you recognize the apocalypse is happening, even, un- even until after the news has told you about it? And, you know, I gotta say, I'm, I'm just, I'm really glad that I live in a country that has easy access to anti-zombie devices, so... <laughs> I mean, it's funny. It's it's more amusing for me as an American watching this film because I can go, Haha, there's like five different ways we would have avoided all that horrible shit and they all would have been spectacular. And one of them might have involved a grenade. Yeah, well, I was going to say, you know, when you guys have the, the, the right and privilege to open carry grenade launchers, I don't think it's... The zombies are going to have <laughs> much of a chance. You know, just going to divert a little bit. That's actually a little-known fact. People don't know that, that that's a thing, that, that yes, you can buy a grenade launcher and have it, uh, you know, and, and, and own it. And now, just open carry it, too. You yeah. just can't buy any actual grenades for it. That's the downside. But the upside is you can buy the beanbags and, and the beanbag charges. So, it you know, basically it's great if you want to stop a bear and without actually killing it. Um, I think it would just actually be a really, really fun game of beanbag tag at that point. But. Oh. Yeah, I'll explain that to my wife. Oh, yeah, Corion shot me with a beanbag grenade launcher. That's why I have a welt bigger than my own muscle. Um, yeah, well, no, no, this dodge faster, man. That's all I can say. <laughs> but that's just it, though. This film took a silly concept to start, but it also, again, this applies its own art to the movie. Um, the the quick shot, establishing shots of brushing the teeth, using the turlet, and just all the basic stuff that they make seem cool because they do the quick jump. I also like how this movie does use jump horror in the in the ironic sense that it's not something scary is actually getting you. It's just, oh, someone's walking in the room, but they put the music on there to scare you for a second. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was an intentionally designed to lampoon a lot of those zombie movies that we've seen, right? I mean, the you can make the argument with this movie quite effectively that they took the plot of a regular zombie movie beat for beat and then just added their own and like could have ad-libbed their own funny lines along the way and it would have worked out the same way really at the end and the beginning of the zombie movie yeah and and that's that's part of why it's awesome because yeah. it it it, <laughs> it, it, it yeah it does exactly it is a parody, but it's it's done in, in, in the way that it's it applies a little bit of real life realism to it, 
And then, yeah, like you said, you kind of get that same ending where, oh, you know, the, the heroes might not make it. And then, oh, if you just held out five more minutes, you would yep. have had rescue. Uh, Randy says, just put potatoes in the grenade launcher. That's also another good use for it as yep. as well. Um, oh, it's a fun one. So, uh, but yeah, so Sean's going through his, uh, his normal routine. And of course, he can't figure out how to properly keep a girlfriend because he doesn't realize that there's more to life than going to the pub with your best friend. And of course, this results in a breakup and he's sad and oh no. And then of course, in the process tries to ease the breakup by going to the pub with his buddy who are the cause of his emotion or of his uh, relationship's demise and uh, the process we get a couple of funny little jokes in the background that's the other thing I like the way that I like the way this movie's written I really do um, a lot of subtle dry gags that you would not get if you're not paying attention to the dialogue and I think that just further adds to the fact that, th- that on a cerebral level Shaun of the Dead is definitely above average um because it's just the delivery is so convincing. It's just stuff that that you would think is said normally, but no, it, it, no, it's it's not. It, it's actually pretty horrifying and pretty terrifying. And you know, one of the things I did like about this as well is when things start getting serious, Sean starts getting serious. Yeah, he starts realizing how terrifying a situation this really truly is. And starts doing something about it. And he starts developing a plan. Now, his plan is very much couched in what his friend wants and what his friend's needs are instead of thinking about this a little more logically. I mean, they wanted a place that they'd feel comfortable smoking in. To be perfectly honest, it's a zombie apocalypse. Anywhere is fine to smoke in at that point. Right? Yeah. Nobody's going to get upset if you start smoking in their apartment in the middle of the zombie apocalypse. And if they you know, do, throw them out to the zombies. That's it, right? I mean, you know, and th- there's another moment, too, that I thought was very cute, and I thought it was a little subtle. Okay? And, and follow with me on this. Um, the guy that's in love with Liz but never actually made a move. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Uh, dr- Dregs? Drags? Yeah, something like that. I- is know, it just... Had resources for this. Yeah. Is it just me? Or did he have, like, a little bit of, like, the Harry Potter vibe going on? And in this situation, Liz is like Hermione? And, like, it was kind of trying to draw... Like this kind of a, a joke about that going on. Because to, to me, I, I kind of grabbed that and I was like, okay, that's kind of funny that they're referencing another major British film David. series out at that time. David, yeah. David, that's his name. Yeah, so it, it really seemed like that was an attempt at a reference there. I don't know if it actually succeeded, but that's what it looked like to me. Um, I don't know. What do you think there? That's an interesting take. Um, I, I'm not as familiar with the Harry Potter movies because I've never actually watched them all. Um, okay, fair enough. So, but I, I know what you're 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 getting at because I had seen that part with yeah because Ron and Hermione end up having the the relationship and and Harry's kind of the Harry's the, Harry's the third the cell. third man. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. That's an interesting. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that and and. His character, I used to obviously loathe. Yeah, David. That's that's the character. 
and and it, you know it's like because he's he's the you know he's the idiot of the group or or the, the yeah the over he's the wiener of the group really i feel like like he he's not necessarily dumb but he is a dick like at the very least yeah well it was just it was like at the same time he was trying to be practical at times like yeah. when when Sean's mom gets infected and she starts turning, he he's like, you know, it's coming. And I mean, you know, some would argue we'll have a little decency and decorum, but it's like, guys, we've seen the the, the turnaround for becoming a zombie is like literal minutes here. <laughs> this isn't. So I was like in agreement with him for the first time I've watched this movie. I'm like, oh, he's really probably just being sensible in this moment because I mean, you're surrounded as is. The last thing you want is another one in you. Know, some one a zombie coming inside the fortress. Um, that being said, too, though, right? One should be willing to show a certain amount of sensitivity when somebody's even in a situation like that. Putting it a little nicer might have been a, a good way to do that. Probably, right? You know, just saying. Like, if it were me, I probably would have handed Sean the rifle. And said something like, if she turns, be ready. And then left it at that, because now you're not putting it, you know, you're not trying to force your will on somebody who's in a pretty fragile state. Yeah. You're giving them the choice, which I'm always a big fan of. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I forgot, uh, Randy wrote in, says, uh, well, British humor will be British. That's yes, true. Ab- absolutely. I wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, I used to not get British humor, and, well, I still don't always get British humor, but at the same time, that's part of what makes that culture so unique, and I'd rather have that unique uh, aspect instead of, uh, you know, everything being... I don't really want to say American, because that's exactly what American is. It's a multi- multiple uh, uh, melting pot of cultures. So... Mm-hmm. I like the fact that British humor can be weird and dry and stand out the way it does. I like that some people don't get I like that I don't get it all the time. I, I really mm-hmm. do. And that's probably why I really enjoyed this movie another time, even though I was laughing at more of the jokes that I that just went over my head when I first saw it. Now I'm just like, I'm just about to end up on the floor. Uh, yeah, I, and I mean, look, there are parts that I'm not a super huge fan of. Um... You know, I get that they had to show that these guys were not exactly living the high life or anything like that. But at the same time, I don't know anybody who's that unmotivated. Entirely. Like, in their life. Right? <laughs> oh, I mean... You're, you're talking about... Uh, uh, Sean and Ed there. Yeah, Ed. That's right. Yeah, played by Nick Frost. That's right. Yeah, you're talking about Ed... <laughs> that's funny you should yeah. say that because uh, so so that must be why your system works in in Canada not to try and turn this too political but but yeah if if you haven't met somebody like that then uh I mean I, I, that's impressive because I've <laughs> met a few like Ed before I've seen them I probably was Ed at one point in my life just because you know stuff wears you down to the point where you just don't give a shit um, but it, it's, I don't think it's so much that Ed is unmotivated. It's so much that Ed just wants to do the bare minimum. And with, since he's cozied up to Sean to a point where he has enough influence, 
that's part of doing the bare minimum, being Sean's bare minimum yeah. friend and just kind of putting things off. Like, th- those people yeah. do exist, but I guess if they don't exist in Canada, that's... Well, that would I'm not saying necessarily they don't exist. I just don't know anybody that unmotivated, <laughs> you know? Good for uh, you. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I try to surround myself with good decent people right yeah well and that's the state that's That's why i'm here on youtube with you yeah well i mean decent is uh overselling it a little i think but uh, (laughs) people like ed do exist but i also think it's also a phase thing everybody kind of goes through that that lazy phase of i'm just gonna float through life because i don't want to spend all my time working and to be honest i did nine years working straight and i also did now I do civilian type work and I really like only working 21 hours a week in a normal ass job. I think the 40 hour week is bullshit. And so I can kind of empathize more with people like Ed in their situation because it's like if you got something that's working, of course you don't want to be motivated to change. Um, and so you feel a little discomfort. And of course Pete is mad because, you know, he just sells weed to make his money. And it's like, I, and I couldn't tell was. He wasn't really behind on his rent. Just seeing Pete was jealous of the fact that that Ed got to live so lazily. Yeah, I think that's more what it was. Was I think part of it was Pete was frustrated, primarily because he was getting a situation where, you know, Ed really wasn't doing anything with his life other than just kind of existing, and it's kind of a jerk move when you're living in an environment where, you know, you're sharing a space with people and you don't really contribute at all. I mean, that's, that's kind of my piece on it, right? Like if he's bringing in just enough to cover the bare minimum and he's not doing any of the housework around, I'd get annoyed like hell. Right. Um, if however, he he did the housework, he just had a couple more beers afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay it would still get an get on my nerves how's that okay that's and i think that's usually a generally accepted uh status is if you're gonna be the one that's not working full-time you know maybe at the very least you know clean up do the some house. stuff around the house yeah yeah you know Arende writes in the Ed phase, been there, done that, gets boring. And when I started getting fed up with my current job is when I started teaching myself bookkeeping rather than fall into apathy. Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. Like, like I'm working on other projects to make a lot of money, but I'm, I'm kind of done working for other people. I mean, not that, not that I won't, not that I'm above it by any means, but at the same time, it's like, I would like to have more freedom in my life to decide how I spend my time, not spending over a third of it at some job that I both. So, but at the same time, yeah, the Ed phase, if you're not making a lot of money, you're not saving up and you're not going anywhere, that's going to bite you in the ass eventually. And so there's, you know, you, you sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. And, and yeah, in that's a housing it. situation, take it upon yourself, do some dishes, vacuum the floor. I mean, that's just... Oh no! Be a good been, roommate. You know? I, look, I, I've been a house husband on and off because uh, my wife was she likes she actually does like working and I don't, and so I got to clean around the house. And I actually find I, 
I really don't know what a lot of women complain about having to be a housewife because I would love to be a house husband the rest of my life. <laughs> I spend a couple hours cleaning and then I go and, and play video games. Oh, whoa, oh, don't want to do that. I think it's the monotony of it is the primary piece to it, right? I get that. You know, I, I feel like if, if you were, if that's all you had to do, right? And you didn't have your own personal ambitions to move forward with, it um, would probably get very monotonous and very hard to do. Yeah, and Arende says, little beekeeping, not bookkeeping. Right, I, I misread that. That's entirely on me, so my bad. And, and I do want to clarify, I'm not saying that women have to be housewives or any of that shit at all. No, if, no. if you want to, you know, my wife and I have gender swapped roles. We've, you know, traditionalized roles. I've basically lived both styles and I don't see what the big deal is. People just figure out how you want to live and just do it. I mean, who cares what other people say? Oh, oh you know, uh, Petey, he doesn't actually work. He makes his wife work. Well, one, I don't make my wife do anything. And two, what? Why do you care? Are you jealous? Is that what it is? <laughs> you obviously are jealous. I mean, dude, dude, I've met your wife. You're familiar with my wife. If either of us tried to tell our wives to do anything, <laughs> we'd probably be doing a live stream from the doghouse. It, 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 you know, we, it, 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 entirely circumstantial, right? Like, obviously, yeah. if it's something serious and we gotta, like, you know, get it yeah, through no, their if head. It, if it's important but or whatever. But, beyond, yeah. beyond extenuating circumstance. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, I'm, I'm sleeping yeah, like, in the truck that night. Yeah, like, I, I freely admit. I tried to tell the wife, I tried to tell the girlfriend, like, go into the kitchen, make me a sandwich. You know, I'm gonna check that, I might get the sandwich, but it might also be comprised mostly of arsenic. So, uh, you know, I, I know better, right? No, yeah, but, but of course, uh, I still earn the doghouse anyway, because, you know, I'm always like, oh, you know, tend to your womanly duties and make me a sandwich, but, I mean, she doesn't, so... <laughs> She probably just laughs it off it's, and laughs at you. That's, and that's really my point in doing that type of stuff. And why I make the jokes to people is like, guys, the best way to move on from the bullshit of the past is to learn to laugh at it. It's not it's not going to come back. It's not going it, to... And that's it. When you don't take something seriously, you, you, it loses power instantly. And, and so, yes, things of the tradition happened. History happened. It is what it is. We can't change it no matter how hard we want to in the, in the present. Um, all we can do is try to make, do what's right and live our best lives. In the end. And, and that's it. And, you know, look, everybody's got to do what works best for them. And ideally, look, find a partner that feels roughly the same way you do about these sort of things and embrace it together. Right. Uh, you know, if you guys are comfortable with, something that vaguely resembles a 1950s household guys you do you if you're not find somebody who also wants to run a household the same rough way you do and work together to build that household it's you know you're not going to change people's minds on things necessarily but you can find compatible people that want to want the same kind of life you do uh, i'll give you a textbook example um my wife is an amazing woman and can make an absolutely mean reservation to any restaurant in town. But when we got married, she didn't know a thing about cooking. Now I did. So what we did was we made a, you know, we set it up. Okay. I will do the cooking. She does the laundry. We split up the chores. Everybody's happy. 
And, you know, over time, she learned how to cook some stuff. I learned that, you know, there are colors other than black that you can wear. (laughs) And if you separate them out in the laundry, they don't all turn out pink. So it actually works out. But it took time. And, you know, that's that's what it boils down to is, you know, now if we need to swap things around, we can. But we both like the jobs that we, you know, the chores that we agreed to take on and we kind of keep to them. Yep. I fully believe that on a social social level, men and women are equal. I think that that I mean, in America, our court system needs to be balanced better to reflect that. But on a social level, it's it. it, That's how the Vikings were. Vikings treated their wives with respect and everybody was trained to be a warrior. And those are the aspects of that culture that I like and that I apply to my own household. My wife is not. Well, she is my property, but I'm also hers that's how we view it because we, we see that that's what marriage makes sense in my mind is it's a mutual ownership and and a joining of the two people and that's that's the relationship in my mind and so some people might disagree with that think that's too extreme and I'm like no we agreed to this <laughs> this isn't like it isn't like that's I just it. paid for her at an auction or you know she bought me up at a Chippendales it, it's 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 a mutual and that's how I feel it that's why I think that's what a lot of people I think lose sight of is it's like no when you pledge yourself to somebody that's what you're doing you are choosing to be with them now the specifics and particulars again figure those out too not everybody has to play by the same exact rules as everybody else that 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 defeats the purpose of having a constitution arende says laugh at it how dare you ignore the duty of self-righteous indignation? That's all the rage nowadays. Yes, yes, I'm very anti-rage culture. We we all are uh, at the Writer Brothers. That's that kind of the the rage and restoring respect into discourse. We tried them together like for five seconds, and we almost destroyed the entire planet doing so. It just doesn't work. Um, Corion even decided to whip up a special spell for it, and it still was going to be catastrophic. Yeah. It just doesn't. Look, the- there, there's some things even I can't make happen. It's really weird how that works. Eh? The two yeah. opposing forces. It's like you're never going to get that north and south magnet to agree. Um, That's it. But guess what? People are not north and south magnets. Despite what the media tells you, we are better than this. We will get through this. Just like Sean of the... Well, okay, maybe not a good example there. Uh, but in the interests of what they needed... Ooh, cool, a sex bot. Um, we're popular. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. Let's kill those off. Yep. Cool. That's when you know your stream's doing good when you get a sex bot. There you go. Congratulations, guys. We've made it. Yeah, Rende said sex in the chat, so it held the comment, but it's all right. I let it go. <laughs> uh, let's see. This remove. Good night. All right, now the chat is family friendly once again. Um, yeah, and that's just it. And that's you know that's kind of we, we have a rough thrown together plan of what interests that the that the the, the people that the friends and Shaun of the Dead do. And I, I love that sequence of events too. That the way they build on that, they're like, okay, you know, we'll go down, we'll do this, and then we'll go there, and then we'll grab a cup of tea, and then we'll wait for all of this to blow over. Well, what about this? Oh, right. We grab a cup of tea. Then, then it ends with grabbing a pint and waiting for all this to blow over. And I, that, when that, once that last one hit, I'm like, yeah, that's the one. 
<laughs> go to the, where go we to should bar. always be if we possibly can. Right? <laughs> yeah, the apocalypse is coming. Come on, you're going to be sober for that shit. I know I don't. That's it. Uh, yeah, it was always my fear <laughs> when I was standing watching Key West. You know, we stand 12 hour watches. It's a 24 hour live watch position. And I'm like, right. I'm just like, knowing my luck, it's going to happen while I'm here on watch. I'm not going to be able to get down to the bar and, and the giant meteor is going to hit or the nuke's going to go off and I'm going to be sober. <laughs> See, I, I figured you were talking about, you know, the zombie apocalypse will happen and I'll be the guy on watch at the time. That too, or that, exactly. And then, and then that's even worse because all my guns are at home. So I have to drive home through the zombie traffic to get my toys because I can't bring them on base, which has been this. That's one of the. That's one of the dumbest things I couldn't understand about serving. Was like, if we're all trained and we're all experts, and there's issues of mass shootings and active shooters, there's a solution. Nope, they're not going to listen to it. <laughs> and well, I mean, speaking I can also of, kind of see why they would not necessarily want it there. I've seen it. I get it. I don't agree with it. Yeah. Um, speaking of shooting the movie, our tier one not tier one operators get a hold of a pistol, and once again, we see the same history repeat itself that we did in the thing where nobody can seem to aim for the head. Again, this is not easy if you're not trained on how to do this, especially in a high tense situation where your heart rate's up and you can't slow it down enough to stabilize the firearm to shoot. It's just not, you're just not gonna hit anything. Um, I used to think that being a crack shot was easy until I tried, and turns out I'm like probably the worst shot in our entire family. And oh well, it is what it is. I still try. Um, yeah, and I mean, look, most of those sort of scenarios, too, look, it, it gets solved by training, like by practice. You know, you, you become a better shot by by doing. And if you're not actively doing it, all the time you're not going to be amazing at shooting it's just that simple and you know i accept that while i used to be a pretty okay shot i'm probably not now yeah i uh i don't know if i said it on this stream or or on the rogue council but whatever it's one of my sort of things these days i wish that i could uh go back in time and slap the person who coined the phrase it's just like riding a bike because the only thing that's like riding a bike is riding a bike um everything else in life requires proficiency all the time i i it was a shocking moment for me to realize it but even even something as as uh as escapist as playing video games. If you're not playing a certain game for a little while, you're gonna get crappy at it. Um, I My first person shooters, I'm always like that. I get to a point where I'm really good and then I stop playing for a few months and then I go back and I'm like, what? what? Clearly these guys are cheating and then I realize, no, I, I let my skill lapse. And that's really the thing with all skills in life. Don't stay proficient. If you don't keep cooking, you're not gonna get better at it. If you don't keep painting, your artwork's not going to improve or grow over time. You don't keep writing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But that's that's how it should be, I think, in a lot of ways, too, right? I mean, we got to keep good to remain good, right? Yeah. And Arena says that must make target practice expensive. (laughs) He he. Yes, it it does. And that's 
just that that that's just that's life. If if you're not training, you have the most advanced supercomputer in your in your skull. The human brain is the world's most advanced supercomputer. Um, some people think that's hilarious, that's dumb, and I'm like, no, that's exactly what it is. Look how much computers mimic the human brain, and we haven't even gotten a computer to do a single fraction of what our minds are capable of. I mean, the, the pattern's there. We, our brains clearly are capable of different programming, and part of that programming is stuff that we self-teach, and if you don't keep your skills proficient... They're going to go down the, the tubes. Your look, groupings are going to do this. Yeah. And, and look, that's that's natural. I mean, the way I've always said it is it's it's not like riding a bike. It's like falling off a bike. <laughs> Nobody forgets how to fall off a bike. But, you know, people definitely will forget how to ride a bike in time. It, it's a natural thing. It happens to all of us. You know, we, we fill up our head with one thing. We get good at that. And then other skills go to the side. It's how life is. I'm a jack-of-all-trades and master of none. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, look, I have other hobbies I'd love rather throw money at than going to the range and, and squeezing off, you know, like a dozen rounds a night. But, you know, the, the downside of that is, in the event of the zombie apocalypse, I'm only an okay shot. Okay, I can deal with that. Yeah, right? same. I mean, I would love to afford to go to the range, too. I also love eating, so... Yeah. Well, right, you know? <laughs> You know, we all have our hobbies, though, that we try to indulge in. You know, yeah, this is just a lot not easier. the hobby I want. It's a lot right. easier to spend 15 bucks on, on a on a game and then, you know, 4 bucks on a movie rental and talk about it than it is to, uh, you know, set aside money for bullets to go that often. I, it's a hobby I've always wanted to be more proficient in, but it's just not, not there yet. So, all right. So, I think we've covered Shaun of the Dead enough. Yeah. At this point. Uh, let's... Let's head on to Deep Space Nine. Yeah, let's head out, uh, back out to the final frontier for tonight's Star Trek Deep Space Nine discussion. So, we first had the episode, you want to take the first episode, the Nagus? Yeah, so we we start with the Nagus. Um, Quark's, you know, doing his normal thing, he's running his bar, things are going well, and a Ferengi named Crax comes in and presents his father, the Grand Nagus who for Ferengi is kind of the equivalent of like a cross between the CEO of the planet and their president, I guess is the best way to put it. If you were to think of it that way. And he's decided that he's retiring. And who does he name as his successor? Why Quark, of course. And why did he pick Quark? Primarily because we wanted to, he wanted to set up an elaborate scenario so that anyone who is actually against him would instead go after Quark and see if his son was ready to take the reins of power and how to do it right. And there's also a bit of an interesting B-plot where we have young Jake Sisko spending less and less time with his dad and, and at home and spending more and more time with Nog and we find out why. And if anything, this makes... Cisco's dad realized just how important this friendship is long term. And I'm sure Nog becoming a well-educated Ferengi will never come up in the rest of the series. No, definitely not. Uh, no. That whole plot should just be ignored, honestly. It was pretty dumb. You know, oh, here's father and son, and oh, son's such a good boy. Lame. 
No, I'm just yeah. kidding. Uh, that th- those are the moments why we prefer real Trek over new Trek. Um, yeah. For me personally, I define new Trek as anything after 2017. Some people say that oh, 2009 Trek is also bad, and I'm like, it set itself in its own universe. It, you, well, you can cut it a little bit of slack. If you don't like it, that's so, great. But I do. So, so here's how I've always viewed it, and I think this is a reasonable way to look at it. Um, look, the movies and actual Trek are two very different animals because actual track sits down and answers sci-fi questions and, and futurist questions along the way. What the movies are there to do is entertain an audience for the set period of time. They don't get into the deep philosophical ramifications of a new alien that behaves XYZ or a new technology that does XYZ. It's Our about member inhales a gas and does XYZ. Right. It's about um, putting together the kind of adventures that would take three or four episodes to actually do properly, but wouldn't advance, like that would advance the plot, but wouldn't advance the sci-fi elements of Trek. And in that regard, I would argue that the J.J. Abrams Trek movies fall right in line with the rest of the Star Trek movies. I agree. I actually find even Into Darkness to be better than most of the TNG films. Mm-hmm. Arende writes Zek was so well portrayed as a kind of despicable character one might say it's inconceivable and you know what look throughout the run of Deep Space Nine Zek whenever he shows up it's a treat of an episode because it's so much fun hey Glenda hello Glenda uh, glad you were made it you know I mean uh, Zek is both despicable and yet incredibly wise and that's what makes him brilliant as a character because you know you could argue that you know if I wanted to invade a planet I'm probably taking Cisco but if I wanted to ensure that that planet will never rebel against me because the company store has ensured such a thing yo Zek is my friend yeah, speaking of, Galenda writes in, I bought my roommate Jackie, or roommate, a Jackie action figure. I love Jackie. Sorry, that was my best movie that I could <laughs> throw out there. It'll hey, probably you know, improve over time. You know, if you talk to, um... Where's my Beatles snuff? Yeah, if you talk to Andy Masterson, he might be able to recreate the Marauder Mo action figures from the episode. Just saying. That, that yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I, uh... Zek is a fantastic character. This this episode really does a fantastic job of world building and setting up a lot of stuff that eventually comes about in the future. Um, yeah, and especially for the Ferengi, right? Like yeah. before now, we've only seen the Ferengi as random marauding capitalist space pirates, for lack of a better term. Yeah, well, this is our uh, first experience with the Ferengi here on like a back backdrop and up close on their eyes and in their mouth and uh, talking like this. I'm sure you all <laughs> wanted to see that. Um, ah! So okay. we definitely go a long way in this episode from the first time we see them in the next generation. Yeah. And and we start to get an idea of their society too exactly um yeah well sort of i mean they're definitely a lot they're definitely stuck up capitalists but they're 
the take that they go, the direction they take the Ferengi is very impressive over in how they explain it. Well, it may look like it's that way, but it's really just as politically corrupt as anyone else. Yeah. <laughs> and that's... And, and, and the truth of the matter is, look, um, you know, the one thing I say about every society in that we run into in Trek overall is, look, it works for them. And that's what matters. If it didn't work for them, they'd change it and, you know, maybe go to like a different system. But for them right now, it's working. So you kind of have to accept that. And yes, Zek has some hilarious, hilarious stuff attached to him. And to be perfectly honest, he kind of sounded like my mother-in-law a little bit, but, <laughs> um, you know, but you know, he's, he's cunning. He's definitely sharp. He knows what he wants. And when you really think about it, what was he doing? He was trying to test his son to see if he was worthy to take over as Negus. He was trying to pass it on. And, you know, in a capitalist society, you just go with like, I don't know, the VP that proved themselves useful. He's trying to make sure his son takes over. There is more to this group than just ultra crazy capitalists considerably more. Glenda writes in, today is my cat's 10th anniversary from his rescue from the Humane Society, and he seems to know it. Hey, congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. Uh, happy adoption day for your cat to have adopted you as uh, its human. And, uh, you know, may your tiny fuzzy overlord, uh, you know, treat you well. Uh, don't say <laughs> that. Uh, I'm glad I have you in my ear so my cat doesn't hear that nonsense. Um... <laughs> Yeah. Hey man, when I went to go to the cat rescue, I walked in, the cat ran up, climbed up on me, sat on my shoulder and was like, okay, I'm ready to go home. What are you waiting for? Yeah. Yeah. My wife's cat, uh, he apparently reached his paw out when she walked by and she had never had an animal do that. So obviously it was a sign. Um, and then for me, uh, the cat that I picked out, he would, he, you know, he came when I just did this and we had just met, but he figured that out and I thought, oh, he's pretty smart. I mean, I don't regret picking him up. He's a nice cat and all. He just doesn't do the whole lap and, and, and pick up thing. And you know what? I just make him suffer anyway. So he's a nice, he's actually a really nice cat. No, not hardly any violence or meanness about him. So I love him for that. And I just, he's fun to cuddle with in bed. But when it's like you want to actually snuggle the cat, he's like, uh, I don't, uh, uh, I don't want to get down. Yeah. <laughs> he's a, he's a bit of a special cat too. So. Uh, okay, there we go. Uh, Glenda, he's spoiled. I built him basically a giant bird cage so he can go in and out uh, my window. Yeah, I built a, uh, like we have a suction cup here with industrial suction cup ledge at the window for my cat to, to jump up and watch um, there. And it also works really nice because it's in the office behind the bookshelf there. Um, so that the cat can sit there while we're in the room so it has somewhere to be that isn't you know getting tangled in cables and such and uh yeah you know she's just super happy to be around us so right yeah no no pets are awesome uh unfortunately we don't really get any pet action until enterprise um yeah but we what we do have is uh yeah i think we've covered all the the super key stuff in the negus there wasn't a lot of major other plot like other character arc escalation other than getting us a culture dump for the Ferengi um yeah you know which is important and useful but 
Uh, I think the only other one is Nog learning to read, which, you know, I mean, it says a lot about Jake's character that he take the time to do that. Absolutely. Right. And I think the entire episode, Cisco's primarily concerned that his, his son is turning out not how he would wish it, but it actually turns out that he's turning out far to be a far kinder human being than Cisco even believed his son could be. And that's that's a wonderful thing. And it really shows you throughout the series that Jake is actually a pretty good kid overall. And, you know, yep. That's good, a good sign. Good examples to set and, and, and to live by and to try and, and achieve. And, and I mean, and, and we see this even reflected, too, in the Orville um, as well. I mean, the different family dynamics, of course. But, I mean, there's, you know... Uh, what are the names in the Orville? I think one of them is named Ty. I don't remember the other one off the top of my head. Yeah, I know um, what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, no, we see we see Doctor Finn's characters uh, really. One of you know, one of them stands up for for the robot that he apparently feared, and basically has his life saved because he talks the person. And I mean, that's that's that's. I'm bringing this up because we're talking about the show for a reason, people. Uh, it's good writing. This is the type of stuff yeah. we want to see more of. Yeah. Um, Glenda writes in, that is one of my favorite DS9 moments. Jake sneaking around to teach Nog to read. Jake is an amazing character. Yes. Uh, yeah. I totally agree. He absolutely is. And, you know, knowing what I know about the background of the series, um, Surak and um, Avery Brooks were very, very close behind the scenes. Mm. Avery used to treat Surak as his son like his adopted son basically he constantly would refer to him as this is my show son when he'd introduce them to people yeah and you know the fact that Avery was willing to take the time to build that kind of a relationship I think really plays out well on screen as well as you know in real life in Surak's life right yeah yeah, Sirok is an awesome person too. He absolutely is. They are still close. You're right, Galenda. Um, and you know, uh, the the actor who was playing Nog, he was a fantastic human being. I got the opportunity to meet him at a con. He was just the, the nicest guy. Um, super friendly, always willing to be, you know, to talk to a fan and you know share a perspective and what have you. So that that whole group. Look, there, there's been stories of tension on sets, but you never hear about tension on set for Deep Space Nine unless it's, you know, related to, I really want them to do a story differently. And yes, Captain Nog forever. Yeah, yeah. All the more reason to play the the, the story arcs in STO. If you like Captain Nog, there's lots of Captain Nog in that game. Um... Ty and Marcus, Arende writes in. Ty and go. Marcus are the Finn kids on the Orville. Thank you, Arende. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, yeah, we're not a, we're not insecure here. We we don't mind corrections, and and we we're here to deliver correct information and, and honest opinions. And you don't and get that if if, if like, well, no, I'm right. No, no, I am. No, no, no. And, and if look, we have the smartest chat on YouTube. No, you guys are wait. It, yes, yes, we do. <laughs> and if you guys say it, I'm gonna believe it. So. 
you know, within reason, guys. Don't uh, don't start posting flat Earth stuff. All oh, oh God, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's again another top. Oh, you want to hit that on the next uh, Rogue Council? Because I kind of do. Oh, flat Earth. I mean, they just I I I love flat Earthers. I do. I'm gonna be honest. I, I not not all of them, but the ones that actually do try to keep finding that one experiment that proves or that everything's flat. You guys are actually awesome. And I say this with genuine, genuine, because you're at least, one, you're sticking true to what you believe, okay? I have respect for people who do that within reason. And two, you're just proving that the Earth is rounder and rounder with every experiment. And so, guys, why get in their way? Let them do the. Yeah. Let them spend the money. Let them do the experiments. Let them just keep adding to the plethora of quick links that you can save and point out to people. No, here's some people that believe the Earth is flat, confirming once again that it's not. I mean, it's good I stuff mean, to have. I I personally agree with the 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 TV show Inside Job when I say, "Ha, flat Earthers! Everybody knows the Earth is hollow." Come See, on, we all know Halo's flat though. Um, yeah, uh, Rene says, uh, I heard Rene Aubergeonois was uh, prickly, so Odo was cl- pretty close in character to him. Yes, a bit rough around the edges, but overall, I, I mean, I heard, yeah. I also heard a lot of good things about him, not just as an actor, yeah. but as a person. And then Glenda says, the Orville is so good, I wish Disney wasn't holding back on announcing its renewal. Uh, you, me, yeah. and every other Orvillian, Glenda, we're right there with you. I mean, we, we definitely need to renew the Orville. I, I mean, it should have been renewed already but instead we've got you know season six through 30 of discovery and you know oh the the picard final season by the way guys might not actually be the final season no uh, you know we'll see i mean i've been fan service suckered into watching it but i'm also not holding my breath um so back to good start or back to aaron eisenberg rather um i didn't actually get to meet aaron unfortunately i i was sad not to ever do that but the first time i got to sort of have a close fan interaction was on a star trek live stream promoting the the new victory is life thing that was coming out and mm-hmm. you know he just struck me as one of the most humble actors to have ever graced the screen like he really felt uh taken back whenever he impacted someone with his performance um not because he was full of himself but because he couldn't believe he just it, it was hard for him to fathom actually impacting somebody on an emotional level like that and i mean it's hard for me too i mean i I still can't sometimes i look at my book even though i haven't sold hardly any copies of it but i'm just like i did that thing that exists now that story is is part of literature and even that's hard so i can see where he's coming from being able to have that impact to emotionally affect someone to inspire people which anog was one of the most inspirational characters for a lot of star trek fans in various struggles in life and still is to this day i think he's i I think his arc is i'm gonna save it for later i'm just gonna say his arc is late for now just to not oversell it but i i would say look i would say that every one of these characters goes on super important arcs throughout but nog's arc might be the most relatable to many people out there somebody who started in a place where they could not go through life the way that they had seen their for their forebearers do so and wanted something better and decided that they have the tenacity and the skill 
to try to make something better for themselves and went out and did it. And that's, you know, that's completely admirable. It's completely something we should all live up to. You know, and there we go. Right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the next episode we had was Vortex. Uh, Vortex, which I will get a plot summary from IMDb for that. Mm-hmm. Um, a Mindarin ship available in lockboxes near you has arrived with the brothers Akel and Rokel, known as smugglers and a mysterious individual, Croden, has been spending quite a lot of time in Quark's bar. He is from the Gamma Quadrant, and there are reports of them having extensive conversations. Odo doesn't trust it, and he's right. Catches Quark negotiating with the Mer- with the Mindarans about an artifact that was probably stolen. He can't stop Croden, however, from killing Rokel while trying to steal the artifact. While Akel vows revenge, Croden tells Odo something that really piques his interest. He mentions he has seen shapeshifters before and calls them changelings. Croden tells they once lived on his planet, but were driven out, but encountered them again in a secret planet. Odo is skeptical, but gets interested when Croden shows an artifact that contains a living shapeshifting fluid. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, fresh off the, you know, Quark learns a valuable lesson about life, the universe, and everything, we see that Quark is up to his old tricks, trying to scam people out of stuff. And, you know, in this case, it lands his quasi-partner in hot water. But in almost a good way, really, when you think about it. Because if he hadn't gotten this situation to happen, he never would have managed to get an opportunity to go back to the Gamma Quadrant to pick up what he really cares about. Um, In exchange, I thought this episode was some fantastic foreshadowing for the future. We get the impression that Odo's people are almost a myth inside the Gamma Quadrant. That not only is, you know, legends of his people exist there, but that more than one planet's heard of him. And that there are artifacts of his people around. This this is going to play out a great deal in the future and leads to an interesting theory that I have heard people say many a time, which was the only way Odo's bucket or pod or whatever you want to call it that brought him here could have been here was through the wormhole. So technically he was through the wormhole before Cisco. You know, theory the theory of Odo should have been the emissary is an interesting one. Hmm. Arende says, is that the episode when Odo gets a locket as a gift? Yes. Yes. Yes, that is. Um Yeah, because I guess Odo's the only one to have gotten that far, so he may have been but you also got to consider too, even if he did pass through the wormhole, uh, the wormhole aliens slash prophets might not have recognized it as a living being when it passed through, because even Odo True. didn't know what he was he until was. Yeah. later. So it also could have been that the prophets knew that he needed to pass through uninhibited because he had a destiny to fulfill. I mean, there's any number of of potential theories. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's 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 an interesting. I mean, no, it makes sense because yeah, we don't ever see any. The only other time we see an Odo-like person is the um, is down the road. Some. No, uh, it's before that. It's in TNG or 
Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, uh, the... no, you might be right, technically, based on the air date. Um, you might actually be right. The, there's actually an arc for this in the in this in STO actually where you deal with the breed and you find out that uh, the uh, it's the were they the builders? Yes. Yeah, the ancient builders that all that reveal that all the races are related. Oh, that was an interesting episode. And yeah, the the figure looks a lot like the female changeling. Um, yeah, I mean there, there's an interesting discussion before STO came out and clarified some of it. That it could have been that the founders actually were the builders. Yeah. And that, um, you know, they kind of forgot their own history when they started to become what they are today. Which is an interesting, pro- uh, like, idea. And, you know, I kind of wish they had almost explored that further. Yeah. I think that would have been a very fascinating place for it to all go. Yep, Arende says the founder said they did send infinite changelings through the galaxy. He may not have come through the wormhole. I mean, true, but then we may have seen more than the one we see, right? Yeah, and then Galenda uh, says, "Oh, Randy Ogsby is in that one Degra for Enterprise." Yeah, I, yes, fantastic uh, reoccurring actor for Star Trek, and uh, yeah, he definitely does a good job in this one. Yeah, he's fantastic. He's not Ernie Coombs, but he's not bad. You would think that he was, though. That's the uh, that's the Admiral guy, right? Ernie Coombs? Yeah. No, Coombs is uh, uh, Brunt. Oh, and... Jeffrey Combs. Oh, Jeffrey Combs. Yeah. yeah. No, it happens. Yeah. He's Brunt. He's the Andorian. He's um, the the Vorta. He's, he's just everybody. And, like, I would love to somebody to write a an official Star Trek novel where all of his ver- various beings are all in the same place at the same time that's and they just like don't get along and the, I think that would be great that's what I was hoping for for this for the season 8 arc in Star Trek Online and I was a little sad that it didn't happen because when I did my little fan video opening credits for that for that whole thing I put you know Jeffrey Combs as Wayun and Brunt he was yeah. and he was fantastic in, as both oh yeah I when I found out that was the same guy and then of course later Shran on Enterprise I was like that's I mean, that's amazing he's also done a couple of other roles too like a, as random aliens um, one was Quark's business partner that wanted a hologram of uh, Kira <laughs> I was actually just right. thinking about that episode that's coming up yeah yeah it's coming up so, no, this, this is a, and this is a really good arc for Odo, too, because yeah. we get to see more de- detective skills, but this comes to be more personal for him. And it's actually the first time we ever le- see him err more on the side of justice than on the letter of the law. Yep. Yeah, it's a very big character building moment because we get to see where he recognizes that, uh, that the law doesn't apply in this situation because this guy was clearly doing what he was doing for the protection of his daughter and it it comes down to well you have a choice to make what are you going to do and he decides you're going on the Vulcan ship and I'm not I'm just going to move on from this and... I'm going to pretend like this whole thing never happened and walk away right yeah. and you know him being Bajoran they have looser rules so he could probably find a loophole and get away with it well, I mean, 
I would probably report it as well. You know, the um, he died like uh, the the criminal died on the way there because the mirror uh, Mirador shot up the ship, and I was able to barely survive. But I didn't bother to bring back the body because I didn't see the point, so I just spaced it and came home. Right? I mean, that's the thing that that do. would be the 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 argument that he'd probably make, right? And he's, I suppose, just going to have to really hope that Odo or that O'Brien doesn't check the logs on the shuttlecraft particularly well and call it a day. Yeah, no, you, you definitely don't want to. You don't want to leave any uh, any unturned stones for that one. And, uh, sorry, I'm still trying to compile my thoughts. It's been a long day today. Um, yeah, yeah, it's season one is way better than I think I remember even watching it back then. I, I think it's very easy to forget the first couple of seasons once you hit that third season. And that's why I'm glad we decided to just kind of slow burn this one two episodes a week. Um, of course, next week we'll be taking our first break from Deep Space Nine just because we got a new show dropping that we're excited about. And apparently so are a lot of other people. So we yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. I oh, think this yeah. could be a fun one. It looks awesome. Uh, we might... Uh, Maybe we yeah, should we tease that do. discussion at the end of the show. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, let's change yeah. it up a little bit. Let's get, uh, let's, let's, well, when we get out over with. But, uh, if you've been watching this show since day one, um, Arende, we'll get to that at the end of the broadcast. But, we've been watching this show since day one. We do take the passing of various people through our lives, whether it's personal family members, friends, or actors that inspire us. Uh, we do take that seriously. We also, whether or not we feel personally connected to a certain actor or actors that's passed, uh, we know that you, the fans, probably do. And so, unfortunately, last week, uh, Angela Lansbury passed away. She's known for a lot of roles that Corion's going to break down. And, of course, um, Robbie Coltrane, who played Hagrid in Harry Potter, also has moved on from this um, but Corian, why don't you go ahead and take it away? Yeah, so Angela Lansbury, um, to me, was always a, a a big actress. She was always that that charming, classy lady that seemed to be make it onto just about every show that existed. She was a very well established character actress. She's done Broadway. She's done screen. She's gone back to Broadway. She's Lots even of done Western. Yeah, lots of voice credits. Um, most of us would probably remember her as either Mrs. Potts from Beauty and the Beast or um, from the TV show, of course, Murder, She Wrote, which was more or less on the air basically forever. Um, for me, she will always be um, the, the, the governess from Bedknobs and Broomsticks, which to me was a beautiful movie as well. Um, but she's been involved in, in just everything. She was fantastic. And she had a way of acting that was very classically trained and yet very willing to embrace modern ideas on, on theater and stagecraft and be part of that, too. Um, she had a very timeless look to her. Um, you know, she seemed to just hit a certain age and stop. And that was fantastic. Um, you know, Murder, She Wrote, I think, was on air for forever, I think is the only way to describe it. And it gave her an opportunity to have a steady income and do projects that she wanted to do along the way. And 
her filmography look it just goes on it's like if you go on wikipedia and try to look it up be ready to be there for like three or four days <laughs> right she's just she's been in everything and it'll take you down rabbit hole after rabbit hole um but by all accounts absolutely classy lady friendly kind warm um was beloved by her family which i mean that's a big one too and you know she'll be missed she's an example that we can live up to as what an actress should behave as classy friendly with the fans you know well behaved on set no one ever had a problem with her and you know that that means a lot right she was willing to work with people when she did have an issue with the script she'd discuss it and try to come up with a reasonable thing it wasn't yelling it was hey i've got an issue here can we sit down and discuss this and work it out so that it makes sense to me and it'll make sense to the audience yeah this is the attitude that that you need to have um when i heard her passing you know i of course flipped on bed knobs and broomsticks for my daughter who had never actually seen it before um i'm not gonna lie when i watched the movie my eyes just about bugged out of my head because she found out a little while afterwards that some of the spells that come from that movie are actually fragments of things that are way 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 older than people would believe Hmm. and uh it garnered a lot of interest and garnered a lot of acclaim and you know she's just an award-winning classy actress uh, I have a lot of respect for how she did business. Um, and Robbie, look, we, we have Robbie as well. You know, most of us will know him as Hagrid from the Harry Potter franchise. Um, he understood very directly that his role on Harry Potter was going to be what his legacy was going to end up being. And so behaved in such a way to be worthy of that legacy. And that's an incredible understanding to have. Now, feel the way you want to feel about J.K. Rowling. Some people are are very opposed to her. Some people, you know, are are very much in her corner. I'm not going to debate her politics. Robbie chose to stand by his friend. And if you want to take away anything from his life, you can at the very least say, while you may not necessarily agree with with his choice in friends, he was incredibly loyal to his friends. And that counts for a lot. And the fact that people are, are being so controversial about this, about what by all accounts is a very decent man who is very loyal to his friends, you know, it's a little concerning right yeah it, it, it's you know it's a little concerning i feel bad that his family now has to deal with this controversy you know in light of the tragedy that they're currently going forward um i think that's that's a shame i don't think that's right by any stretch and i do think that you know if we're given any choices in the world the, the choice to be kind is super important and if we're not choosing to be kind here there's something wrong and you know i would say that i think the best thing we can all do 
is, is just be respectful to the family at a time of uh, great tragedy because he died young for you know he died young and that's sad and he should have had a lot more years with us and, and a lot more great roles if he had chosen to take them on but we were like many others robbed of him too soon and yeah. I personally I've watched the, the Harry Potter series um, mostly in kind of an ironic funny kind of way where we sit down and go like ha you'd never get away with that right but to me it you know he was this rock inside on screen and off screen for the people involved in that production that stabilizing element that was always available for you know a big giant bear hug if needed or a kind word or a little help getting somebody to where they need to be as an actor by all accounts and that's a fantastic thing and that needs to not be forgotten even though there's a lot of controversy around J.K. Rowling right now, it shouldn't bleed onto this guy. Well, not not just that, but it's it's the fact that while I do I do speak against the whole oh you know respect the dead and pretend they were amazing. I I think that it's yeah. necessary to call things out and account. But when it comes to a situation like this, you know the problem is people have gotten so full of themselves to think that their opinions are. Uh, the equivalent to actions and that's simply not true yeah you may disagree and I'm not going to slide one way or the other on this because I agree we need to keep it more apolitical on on this particular show anyway Um, Mm -hmm. guys he shared he he stood by his friend he shared his ideas his opinions he might not agree with them but unless he was actively trying to do something against somebody based off of those opinions that's all it is in the end. And, yeah. you know, if you're one of those shameful people that that celebrates the death of somebody you just disagree with fundamentally, you're a fucking piece of shit. I'm, I'm just going to say it. Like, we, we're here to restore respect into discourse. We're also here to call out bad behavior and bad attitudes. And wishing death on someone that you just disagree with fundamentally when they're not actually doing harm is, is shameful and shitty behavior. And we won't tolerate it. And so it, it's it's fine to speak your mind and your opinion. And it's fine to, you know, if you're disappointed that he had those ideas, that's okay to say that. There's a rest, yeah. there's a right way and an absolutely wrong way to go about saying, well, I disagreed with this person, but you know what? It sucks they died. Because it does. Because he was yeah. taken too soon. Uh, Angela Lansbury got to at least make it to 96. To me, I, I consider that 16 bonus years added to what I consider the finish line. Um, yeah, it's a pretty good run, all said and done, right? And with all the, the, the list of credits that she has, and based off of what you told me about her as well, she seems like someone that would absolutely be a, a, the model for restoring respect into discourse because she seemed yeah. to carry herself respectfully and respect those that she, you know, when she had disagreements, she talked them out. Yeah. And that's all that matters at the end of the day is that we can at least, and not even agree when yeah. we talk at our ideas. And that's it. We don't all have to agree. No. But we do have to communicate in a fashion that allows other people to at least get a glimpse of our side of the the equation and hopefully have them reevaluate their position based on the arguments you bring forward. Yep. I, you know, I own firearms for defense. I'm not mm-hmm. going to be that guy that takes a gun to a, to a debate. 
I mean, unless no. I'm just for protection, but I'm unless not it's some be... sort of <laughs> unless it's some sort of like firearm debate thing, like boxing chess, I guess. Right? right? Yeah, yeah. Or if it's yeah, <laughs> boxing chess, interesting. Yeah. Or if we're dueling, but no, I'm not yeah. gonna be. I'm not. I'm not that guy. I don't. I don't wish death on anybody, hardly ever. I mean, I wish justice for certain people that need to be brought to justice, but that's all got to go through a process. That's all got to be talked out that's got to be shown you got to show proof as mm-hmm. far as you know if Corey Owen and i have a disagreement on something i'm sure we will we might have a blow up at some point in the future i'm not but gonna we'll wish- still come back down and and we'll still be like dude you I know what i was fundamentally <laughs> well you know i think we, I, we could probably sit down and be like dude i disagree with you on this so hard yeah and yet you know what i mean I'm not going to let this stand between a good friendship. Absolutely, Arende. Right? I, I, you know, and if that's what we got to come down to, if Corion and I need to have a duel with the Nerf gun, I'm not opposed to going that low. Uh, but that's also because I'm, I'm down. I'm down. So, so Nerf gun fight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah this is um, also the the when the cat's misbehaving toy. But I, I do the same thing. Just don't aim for the head, and it's all good. No, yeah, that's it, right? Um. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a Warhammer player, so I actually turned my Nerf Recon into something that looks like it belongs in, like, a Warhammer Bolter pistol, just for, like, cosplay stuff. Yeah, Galenda, you said it best, and I think maybe we should make that into a t-shirt in the future. Uh, wishing death upon those you disagree with only creates martyrs. Making friends with them allows you both to evolve. Uh, that's that's so perfectly said. Uh, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's what it boils down to, right? Um... You know, on top of that, too, like, look, here's my whole piece on here's what I'm going to do to address the, the controversy on, on JK Rowling. And I think this is the least political way I can put it, but also the most poignant. I really, really wish that she would sit down and take a look at her opinions and really back them up with good, solid, hard facts. So if she's going to make those arguments, they're not assailable. And that's all, that's basically the standard here at TWB is wow. you you make a claim, you bring the receipts, or it's just your opinion. And you're allowed to have exactly. your, your opinions, whether we agree or not. It's just keep in mind, if you're trying to convince me of something, it takes a lot. As Corion and John have experienced firsthand on this show. <laughs> and they're just arguing pop culture. Imagine yeah. how, how immovable I am when it comes to rights and politics and stuff i mean it's and yeah it's freedoms not, and rights and it's, oh yeah and it's Ooh. not because i'm trying to be arrogant and disagree that might be a little bit of it in the back of my mind but it's really because i've gotten to a point where i've like i've realized for myself if i want to convince Corion of something i can't just say but 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 the tv said no that's no, not no, no. No. The if back. you bring me a well-reasoned argument though i 100 listen to it and we've had some good discussions like that where oh, it's absolutely. well-reasoned arguments brought forward in, in in respect, we we've had those good discussions, and I I love those. Right? Yeah. We all agree Can that hummus is a healthy, is a snack? healthy snack. Reluctantly, actually, I do like <laughs> I, I do like there. I've had one that was like fire roasted with uh, something else. All right, I'm going to move on from the memorial page, though. I think. think uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, I was actually going to say, um, dude, I've got a hummus up here. Are you like a garlic person? I do like garlic. Okay, there's a hummus that comes out up here that's roasted red peppers and roasted garlic in the hummus. Oh, that's pretty good. 
All right. Yeah. Arendi's been waiting so patiently for what our final tease discussion that we just decided Absolutely. on the fly to make. Uh, the discussion goes a lot faster without John here. I don't like that. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, I was like, man, this. I was worried we weren't going to have enough time. Now we have all the time in the world. So we might have a little bit of round robin at the end. But next week, this Friday, I said that backwards. Next, next week's show, we will be discussing what comes out this Friday. And that is, of course, Amazon's Prime newest sci-fi show based on the book, The Peripheral. I've watched the trailer for this a couple of times, and I have no idea what the hell is going on. <laughs> I've, I've got theories, but I can't wait to see what actually is at play. Yeah, apparently it has to do with time travel, and that the answers are in the future, and so it's, it's, this, you know, yeah, we're kind of, we're pulling this one out because it does seem like it's going to have a lot of popularity, and we do want to start getting those views so we can start growing as a channel. But it also is looks like a total sci-fi romp, which, as you can tell in this crew, we mostly focus on sci-fi. Yeah. Like, if it's good, we'll tell you. If it isn't good, we'll tell you why. Exactly. Now, we, we do honest reviews here. We don't purposefully like stuff. So, if it does end up being garbage, which, oh man, I hope it's not. Usually, this is what I will say. Oh. Amazon has a very good track when they actually use the source material. Yes. Be analyze what I just said because I'm not saying they have a good track with handling books. They have a good track with handling source material. The Expanse, fantastic. I know that started as a sci-fi show, but Prime picked it up and stayed true to the material all the way through. Absolutely, it's worth saying. Um, Terminal List. Even though I don't care for James Reese in the TV show, I will admit that was a very good adaptation. If I was going to go with any studio to trust to adapt my book properly. Right now, despite Rings of Power, Amazon does have kind of my vote for that. So, cool. Hopefully, um, and I, but I'm not doing the book before I do this one. I'm I'm gonna wait and do the book after this time around. That's yeah. seems to be the thing these days. Uh, Randy says, hmm, speaking of time, started reading The Wheel of Time. The book makes that Amazon show look like a compost pile. Uh, so, Randy and a. Frankly, I think that's a disservice to compost piles, but... Uh, well, then I guess uh, I, my enthusiasm has now just been snuffed out. Good job, guys. Uh, <laughs> this new information has changed my mind. Um, Glenda says, hmm, looks very cool. For a second, I thought it was Britt Marling. Uh, no. Yeah, almost a little bit there, but... Um, yeah, I mean, look, Wheel of Time, look, when you get rid of half of the story or at least half of the world building for political ideologies you, you basically might as well just toss it out and call it something different how the how the hell have we not figured this out yet like we're yeah, in like, year seven of woke ideology almost and 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 it's still just it's like guys look i've said this before i'll say it again because it's part of what i do believe my own bullshit I don't have a problem specifically with the woke message in of itself, okay? I believe that everybody should share their ideas however they feel, okay? Where I start to draw the line is you have to be respectful. The freedom of speech does not mean you have the freedom to be heard. There's a reason for that. It's because you have to treat your audience with a certain amount of respect. So if you want to have those themes and ideas presented, 
you have to do it the Roddenberry way, which is that you just do it. And no, Roddenberry Trek is not the same. New Trek is not channeling Roddenberry Trek. New Trek is like is like an after-school special gone terribly wrong. Is the best way that I can describe New Trek. You're you're right. It, it look to to me it boils down to this. I am completely okay with people throwing in whatever messaging they want. If you want to make a movie about you know some specific political topic, if you want to make a Brexit movie, like go ahead and make it, okay? But don't co-opt someone else's work to do it. Yeah. Okay? That that's that's basically my line, okay? If you want to make a movie about you know a a you know like let's let's use brexit because it's kind of over now and we can probably discuss it without angering too many people look if you want to do it go for it but you know make it something your own make it unique get it off the board and if enough people are supporting that project to get it off the ground then you're probably going to have enough of a viewer base to keep it alive but if you're just co-opting someone else's work to get your message across what you're really saying is, my message isn't popular enough. My message doesn't reach enough people or get enough agreement from other people. So I have to take it like the pill you're trying to feed your dog and wrap it in peanut butter of nostalgia and hope that the dog doesn't notice the po- the pill in the middle of the, the, the peanut butter of nostalgia. And what does that say? It says that you don't really have a leg to stand on. But you're more than willing to stand on somebody else's volume of work to get your point across. That's not going to do the job because all you're going to do is alienate the fans, start polarizing political discussions that don't actually move the needle. They just lock people more entrenched into their positions. And people who actually like came out for whatever it is you were actually advertising you're going to lose right away and you're going to kill off franchises. And look, you know, we've seen this before. We've seen this with Doctor Who. We've seen this with Trek. We've seen this with, man, I could just go on and on and on with all the things we have seen this with. It doesn't work. You know what does work? Being true to your being true to your story putting in the effort to get it put together properly and present it to the audience in a manner that is digestible. There are, there are stories that I would argue have woke themes in them without actually being a movie or a show or whatever that we would consider woke because part of, I feel what woke includes is a a certain level of maliciousness involved. And if you remove that, then what it just becomes is decent messaging about a topical issue. Um, a textbook example of this to me is a, a Netflix series called The Order. I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, I watched it and I had a great time with it. And there was definitely messaging about, you know, strong female characters, about, you know, people getting along despite racial biases there's a lot of good themes about that, but they don't shove it in your face. They don't make characters unlikable to get your point across. What they do is they tell an engaging story and have this be part of the universe that these 
these messages are happening in the background and you subconsciously realize how important it is. Yeah. Right? And, then, and then Galenda says, woke indicates a conclusion. I'd put more stock in awakening. And, and, and that's really, yeah. like, that's where I'm at with, with Corion. I mean, I'm, I'm anti-woke in the sense that I'm anti-disrespect. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a fan of these, these activist films because they're just bad. They're hijacking a platform to spread their version of a distorted message and you're right if it just creates more division then it's problematic and i don't care if i agree with it or not it's not about agreeing with it it's about what's the end game this is why i love the orville is because the orville delivers its ideas it delivers a lot of those those quote-unquote woke themes in a more respectful manner it just talks about them it just puts them on screen Seth just shares his ideas. I don't agree with all of Seth's ideas. Yeah. But just because I don't agree with his ideas or the way that, you know, he jokes about Christianity sometimes, sometimes I think he takes it a little too far. I agree. I don't wish death on the guy. I don't wish horrible things. I I respect the fact that he shared his idea and that I can disagree with it and move on. I actually want to meet the guy. I hope I get to. Um, And if I don't, well, that sucks, but... I don't have any malice towards him. I don't care that I don't agree with him. Yeah, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I'd love to sit down and have a discussion with him about some of these things. Absolutely. And, you know, like, I would love, like, for example, look, there, I have probably, a, a, you know, probably not the greatest, but several really good reasons to not particularly like the Christian church. Christianity as a faith is a different matter. I definitely think there's some good messaging in there. It's not personally for me, but I th- can definitely see why a lot of people would be inclined to join it, and I think that's great. I can see the um, right reasons and the wrong reasons, but again, that's a rogue council right. episode. But but what I would say is I would like to find out what led him to his beliefs in terms of Christianity, because I'm very curious to see where he where he went with that, right? Yeah. And, and I think that's the difference, right? The difference is I'm curious to see what led him there and what we can do to help him come to a better place, right? Because I'm actually interested in him coming to a better place and his own emotional well-being in trying to find some sort of reconciliation with the problems he's got. Whereas somebody who's in that wokosphere, I guess is the best way to put it, is going to be more interested in tearing a person down for their beliefs. And I don't think that's the right way to do it. I think we are much better when we work together um, as a group to try to deal with the problems that we have and come to acceptable solutions for all. And the thing that I will say about Seth is while he does hold some opinions that I don't necessarily agree with and some that I do, I'm willing to bet he'd be the kind of guy that would be willing to sit down and discuss it. And have probably a fair bit of humor in the discussion as well. And that's totally reasonable, right? And if it turns out, hey, you know, he sways me on a couple of things because he's bringing in facts into evidence I simply don't have, I'd be good with that. And maybe I do the same for him. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. A- absolutely. There there was a, there was actually this, this well, I'm going to address the fan mill real quick. Glenda says, Margaret Cavendish, probably saying that wrong wrote what I believe is the first 
science fiction novel in 1666 because she wanted to talk about science in a time when women weren't allowed to talk about science. Okay. Yeah. Um, if you I want mean, to drop that name in the Discord later, we might add it to our reading list because that would be... Yeah, and to be perfectly honest, that's exactly what science fiction was doing for an incredibly long period of time is allowing us to discuss issues that would be impolitic to discuss any other way than couched in metaphor. Yeah, and then Seth doesn't jam his ideas down your throat and doesn't bristle you with in or bristle with indignation when you disagree with them. There, there was a time when he did when he was younger. You could definitely see the the, the chip on your shoulder, but it was actually I think Pendulette who helped uh, show a piece of wisdom in, in his life when he when when Seth was about to go on a tirade about the the tea party and and he's spitting all this stuff out and it's Pendulette goes whoa 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 hold on that's not true at all about these people this is this is made up nonsense this is garbage and it was it was a moment for me to really respect pendulette not because he was dressed down Seth McFarlane so much but he was also setting an example for me to follow um because the, you know the pendulette as you guys know is a very openly atheist uh well i would actually put him into the anti-theist category as opposed to atheist okay where he's just like actively against religion yeah, anti the Well, he is and he isn't. It's a bit weird. Like his his episode of bullshit on it was was fascinating to watch because he doesn't quite denounce it entirely, um, but he does point out a lot of the problems that I came around to agree with. Uh, but the point is, he he did this. I had a lot of respect for the guy. Well, I also found out that he also was kind enough to share that that a time when a Christian gave him a New Testament Bible. And just simply said, here, um, I just want you to have this. I want you to know that that you know whatever you choose to believe is your business. Um, I, I like you a lot. I love what you do, and I'm praying for you. And and that was I'm summarizing what, what the story was. But yeah, the basic story was that that meant a lot more to him than the logic debates because that was somebody showing their character and their true intentions behind it, and that's what he respected. And that was yeah. that was his moment to take that moment and go. Guys, this is this didn't bother me. I was very flattered by it. I don't agree with him, but the fact that someone showed that level of kindness and was was uh, had the courage to say that they disagreed with me to my face, but also be loving, that was a huge impact for Pendulette. Now that's again a lot of the inspiration yeah. for TWB. Well, I will I will say this about Pendulette. Um, the that particular episode that you're talking about, where he where he goes after religion, dude. That is probably one of the best episodes to watch if you want to sit down and listen to arguments and figure out your counter arguments. Because he goes through all the problems he's got. And if you can sit down and watch that and then sit down and go, okay, what are my counter arguments to this? You will be well equipped for the future. Yeah. And not only that, it just it bolsters not only your your own belief, but it also helps you grow as a person because then you can reasonably find ways that and that's the other thing. Your intent behind finding those counter arguments has to be good though as well. I used to be that person that debated to win arguments, and so I have to remind myself to come from it as a point of I'm not trying to win any argument. I'm just sharing ideas. And that's all I believe in anymore, is is sharing the ideas and the idea exchange. That's what I'll take a gun to a war for. Um, other than that, you want to believe you want to believe something else. You want to engage in the lifestyle you want to engage in. As long as you're not hurting anybody, I don't care. It's your life, your body, your choice. Live it how you how you want. 
Um, Glenda says, The Blazing World. She explores alternate dimensions. Okay, well, for a yeah, book written in the 1600s about alternate dimensions, that definitely sounds like something we should absolutely do on this show. Oh, yeah. I- I'm down. Miranda says, I didn't know that about him. I don't follow life and opinions of stars that much. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I tend to stay away from like stars like the Kardashians and whatnot. But when I find out that somebody is a very eloquent, very intelligent speaker um, that's worth, at the very least, listening to their philosophy on, separate from their stardom, then I then I, I take notice. Like, look, like him or not, um, you know, it worries me that Marilyn Manson is such an eloquent speaker. Right? Um, I've read both of his books. He's a very deep, very well thought out individual. Okay? He's not necessarily somebody that I want to go and sit and have drinks with. But... I'd probably be, I'd probably start sweating if I saw him across the debate table. Oh, because the dude, Marilyn Manson. Oh, Marilyn Manson. The dude is smart and the dude really has done his homework. Um, if you've seen him on Politically Incorrect with Bill Maher back in the day, um, or you see him in, uh, Bowling for Columbine, the dude is not like, I don't necessarily agree with everything he says, but the problem is the way he says it is not wrong. (laughs) So it's not like he's assailable in his arguments. And that's, you know, like, that would worry me if I had to debate the dude. Um, that all being said, you know, like, so I pay attention to what the guy says because I may get a kernel of interesting story out of it. He just happens to be somebody who's on the pop culture radar. Right. Um, you know, but there are stars out there that, you know, are intelligent people that do think deep thoughts and it's worth noting them, right? Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. And when they do, you know, that's the thing that that for me has been a journey was recognizing the importance of listening to to the other side. And that's that's kind of been one of the the the, 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 the one of the internal disagreements specifically in Christianity that I always found fascinating was, you know, you have one camp that says, well, you know, you just need to analyze things and, and figure them out on yourself and then you have the other camp that's like you know there is only god no questions the end and i'm very much against that camp at this point um yeah. whatever you believe you know the smartest thing you can do for yourself is to look at yourself in the mirror decide what it is you believe and why and then take that and imagine it as a clump of mud and throw it against the wall of scrutiny as hard as you can and see what sticks and what doesn't because a lot of what we're taught about our past um, he's, we it's don't not really necessarily know. correct. It's all correct, and what we think is correct might not all be correct. And that's why, at the end of the day, this is why I draw the line at consent with everything that's the moral absolute that transcends all ideology. Is you know, are you violating what somebody else wants to do or doesn't want to do? And that's really what it comes down to. And, and every single that that's that's the thing that ends the whole. Well, if you don't have Christianity, what do you do for morals? Well, I just told you, it, that's where it. That's where it starts. Is mm-hmm. is it okay to do this? And it, and there's consistency to back that up in the Bible as well. I mean, Jesus never forced his opinion on anyone, not once. And according to the to the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, people came and listened to him. 
And that's why I respect people who do that. And that's why I'm glad we do this show. We are not, at no point am I ever going to force my ideas on you at any point. I'm going to share them with you openly as we do. Um, But please don't take this as any kind of preaching or you need to live a certain way. If you come to either of us with your problems, we're going to tell you the truth. We're going to tell you what we think is best for you. But we're not... We'll try to help if we can. Yeah. But that's only if you come to us. (laughs) Like yeah. Arende, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hit you up in that email and say, "Hey, I think beekeeping is not for you. You need to go find a Mormon church or something." You know, <laughs> no, or, or Glenda, Glenda, you're in the wrong. You need to go find you need to go find a coven that's like Corion's but different. Um, Look, assuming you I, even want to be a witch. Yeah. No, no, honestly, no. Wait, not assuming you are going to be a witch now. No, no, we don't do that. We don't. Do <laughs> we that. don't do that at all. Look, at the end of the day, what I always hope I produce when I start getting into more philosophical stuff is I hope to make people think I hope to make people take in my words and examine what they what they think what they feel and use that to you know help sharpen their ideas help sharpen them if if they agree with what I'm saying I encourage them to look further into it and you know embrace it with all their heart if you don't don't, because you think i'm right right if you don't um use it to sharpen your own arguments right find ways to prove me wrong for you or find counter arguments and bring them to me because that to me is awesome and i love that and if it makes your arguments and everything better that is great okay that is really what i want Right? Yep. Uh, Rende writes in, Well, I agree with you, Corion. Jordan Peterson is an example of a star I grew to like for the way they think and make their arguments, not that I latch on his every word, every single words. Um, exactly. Yeah, and then Galenda says, LOL, y'all be like C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien pre-Narnia. Uh, yeah. Yeah, kind of. You know? Uh, that's my praise if I ever heard. Yeah, I, I, you know, Galinda, that is that is very sweet. Uh, Arendi, you know, uh, look, here's what I would say about Jordan Peterson. Uh, I think he has stances I definitely don't agree with. I absolutely don't agree with on everything. But I will say that some of the core concepts he has embraced turn out to be pretty much universally accepted in various religions as here are ways to unscrew up your life. And, you know, if there are a dozen religions out there that are all saying, look, you know, maybe, yeah, clean your room, right? Maybe, you know, find some direction in your life, set goals, small goals at first, and go and achieve them. You know, he's latching on to to a truth about humanity that existed before he did. He's just dressing it up in his own words, and I'm okay with that, right? If he's reaching people and getting them to, you know, get their life in order and find and go out and find happiness, then he's doing a good thing. Again, I don't agree with him on everything. There are several points that I disagree with. And I I think some of those points, I feel like he's the kind of person that would bring them up simply to disagree with another human being about them. Not because he necessarily practices them himself, but he's free to say what he wants right and you're free to either listen or not listen to him but if you do choose to listen to him then i would say 
take in that which you agree with and use it and learn more about it. And what you don't agree with, find good arguments so that if you are ever to run into them on the street, you can pose the question to them of, hey, I really liked your speech at, at so-and-so location, but I disagree with you on this. I'd like to sit down and discuss it with you. I would Do like to know more. Time? Yeah. You know, I hit that I need I want to know more button, right? Like by all means. I guess my point is even people I disagree with, and there are several, right? Um, look, I think Reverend Al Sharpton has done some wonderful thing in his things in his life. I don't agree with him on every point he brings up. I really don't agree with him on many points. But I absolutely respect his right to say it. Absolutely. And I absolutely, absolutely think that you um, know he should be free to do so. Yep. Thank you guys all for watching again, as well as our podcast listeners. Um, we'll be back with Super Quest on Saturday, and of course, uh, Peripheral and a couple more movies next week. I'm PDR. Have a good night.